Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. I'm sure this is something you've experienced. You meet a couple at a party through your friend group, wherever. And they're one of those couples that just, you just like them immediately. There's just something magical about the two of them together. They have a certain energy, a certain chemistry, and you're just like, man, I love this couple. Well, I have one of those couples on the show today, my friends Cassie and Nate, who left a comfortable life in Portland, Oregon, where they really had a great situation in terms of their lifestyle there. But... Everything that was surface level, once we dug a little deeper, you kind of start to see, well, maybe it wasn't so ideal for a lot of reasons. And because of that, they decided to take off and make that transition to travel. So we talk about that transition with them today, why they chose to leave a place that they love, that is beautiful, that they have family in. And maybe you're listening to this and you could be in that situation as well. I think uh, comfort is a tricky thing right? Sometimes we're in a situation where, you know, we like our job or we like where we live. We love being surrounded by our friends and family, but we have this pull to travel. And in many ways that can be harder to leave, right? It's almost easier to kind of leave a a job or a situation you're just totally unhappy with. And we talk about that in today's interview. We talk about how they set themselves up to make this transition in terms of financially. Uh, I'm really impressed with just the dedication they have to keep this lifestyle going, how they ended up moving to Mexico and what that's like. We talk about indigenous and local travel, trying to support those local businesses. We get some great tips around that and making a living on the road, which is something that anybody who wants to travel long term needs to do unless you're living off (laughs) some fat savings account. And if you are, good on you. But uh, for a lot of us, we need to figure out eventually how to make a living. We don't want that cushion that we're traveling with to run out. So we get into some of the different ways they've done that. There's just so much advice packed into this interview. Uh, I just love that we can, through somebody's story, get a lot of these little nuggets that might help us in our own journeys and might help you in your own journey as you plan your next trip or maybe look at ways that you can extend a current trip that you're on or whatever the case is. So anyway, all that's happening today. Plus, of course, I'm going to have a shout out to somebody in the community here. And I want to talk about what picking up trash has to do with traveling the world. Tune in for that and much more today. It's happening right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend.
You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Uh, I'm guessing if you're here, you desire a lot of travel. (laughs) So welcome to the show. If you're the first time listener, welcome. If this is your 50th or 100th episode or more, welcome back. Thank you so much. What a incredible listening community we have here. I I love the shout out I'm going to share with you today from from a listener. I'll get to that in a minute. She she's described herself as the traveler she is and it's a sentence long, but I love it and I have to share that with you in a moment. How are you doing today? By the way, hope you're doing well. I'm I'm getting ready to head back to the states. I'll check in with you and some personal updates here. I've got my flight booked. I'm starting to think about how empty I can leave my suitcase so I can fill it up and bring back all the American stuff that we don't have in Norway. It's so funny because I'm in a Facebook group called Americans in Norway, and I swear 90% of the posts, at least the ones that I see, maybe that's an algorithm thing, are, are food related. It's like people coming back with you know boxes of cinnamon toast crunch and pop tarts and all this crappy American junk food that you can't get here. And you know, I gotta say, I'm guilty of it. I'm I'm gonna be loading up on Cheez-Its, some Goldfish crackers. My kids love those as well. Uh, probably some Trader Joe's peanut butter cups. Uh, you got any more suggestions? You know, you can hit me up. You can always hit me up. Get in touch. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email. And also, I leave a link in every show note description to a place where you can easily leave me a voice message. You don't have to download anything or anything. You just click on a link and leave a 90-second or less voicemail to check in, and I will get you back. By the way, thanks to everybody who has taken the time to write and share their story. I know there are a lot of people in this community right now making that transition to travel, and some people checked in and and let me know that they're in the middle of that as well. And Cassie and Nate, today's guest, they have made that transition. In fact, they now live in Mexico, but it wasn't always easy. And it's great when I can bring guests on that are able to reflect back on that journey and talk about the things that worked for them. Let's talk about some of the struggles. It really just helps anybody at any stage uh, kind of prepare for that transition. And also, if you're out there traveling, we do get into the making a living on the road and how they've been able to do it, what it was like to buy a house in Mexico, get some good tips on the local travel scene down there. But overall, how we can, as travelers, support indigenous and local businesses when we go on tours and things like that. And so much more packed in this interview. Stick around on the back end, of course. We are going to talk about what garbage has to do with traveling the world. And of course, a little quote of the day for you. Now, let me give this shout out really quick before we get into the interview portion. This is an email I got from Carly, 
who said, Hi, Jason. I've been listening to your podcast for about two years now. Love listening when I need that little extra motivation for travel. One of my favorite things to listen to are your transition to travel episodes. So I thought I'd share my recent transition with you. I'm autistic and my biggest special interest is travel slash culture. I have known I wanted to travel indefinitely for a few years and just kept waiting for the right time, quote unquote. The pandemic canceled a five country Europe trip I had planned and made me antsier than ever to just take the plunge. I waited until my lease ended, sold a bunch of stuff, and put anything else I wanted to keep in case of a transition to van life at my mom's house. August 2nd, 2021, I took off to Berlin with my best friend and did vacation-style fast travel of four countries in two and a half weeks. She has now flown home, and I'm continuing on my own at a slower pace. She goes on to say, I'm now a solo gay, autistic, vegan, female Digital nomad, what a mouthful, in her words. Uh, Thank you so much for your podcast and for listening to my story. Uh, Signed off Carly, she slash they. And if you want to follow Carly, you can find her over there at at the Plant Powered Adventurer on Instagram. I just wanted to give her a shout out because that's incredible. She's out there on the road making it happen. So (laughs) congratulations to everything you got going on. And, you know, if you get up to Norway, let me know. Would love to meet up with you and hear more about your transition to travel now you're out there. And I'm excited now to bring you this interview with Cassie and Nate, who also made that leap from the comforting, lovely lifestyle they were living in Portland, Oregon, to a life on the road. Why did they leave that cushy lifestyle? How did they do it? How are they making it happen? How did they end up buying a house in Mexico? You'll hear it all right now. Slip and slide into this interview, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. Are you there? Yep. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, cool. You wake up at 3.45 a.m. every day, legitimately, every day. That's your work schedule? That's my work schedule. I sometimes, uh, if I feel tired, I sleep in until 3.53, but that's pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> when you have to get up like that, every minute counts. I remember <laughs> I remember counting the minutes like that at certain stages of, of different jobs I had, right? It was like, all right, I know I can push it to 737 because that one time I pushed it to 739 and then I was like five minutes late because of da, 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 da. so you know you gotta get it down to the minute, right? Down to the minute, exactly. Even 30, 30 seconds more of sleep is good. <laughs> Hi, Cassie. So nice to see you. You too. Thanks for thanks for getting up to do this. I I I was gonna say thanks to Nate for doing this, but he he was already up, so it's like he's just like whatever. I'm up, so I'm just gonna do this thing anyway. (laughs) What else am I gonna do with my time? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. Thanks, thanks to both of you. We are recording, so before we get too far into this, I should give you guys a little bit of an introduction, shouldn't I? I'm on with my friends, Cassie and Nate Goodluck Johnson, who run the blog website and vlog nativenomadlife.com. They are part-time nomads living the dream in Mexico while immersing themselves in local and indigenous cultures around the world. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to hear about their transition to travel, what that was like, why they slow travel, life in Mexico, and... you know, a, a ton of other probably random things I'm going to get into. So uh, anyway, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friends. Thank you so much. <laughs> so happy to see your face. Yeah, I know. It's been too long. So I'm, the last time 
we hung out in person was in Mexico. That seems like forever ago now. You know, it's always good to hear about, uh, I mean, at least I'm always fascinated by the journey before the journey, the transition to travel. And it's funny because you guys, it, it sounded like you had it pretty good in Portland. I'm just going to use your words here from your website. And uh, you said, quote, we lived on bike highway down the street from a drop dead gorgeous Laurelhurst Park. There were impressive restaurants, bars and shops in walking distance. We made friends with all of our neighbors. Our favorite things were going to see live music, sipping on delicious Northwest brews, hiking up the gorge, going camping in the woods or riding on the Palooza bike rides through town. Portland is truly awesome. Plus, Nate, your, uh, your family's from there. So why did you guys leave? You know, I don't know. I guess like some people, no matter what your life looks like, you have like, I guess like an itch that you just, it just, you, no matter how much craft beer you drink that you can't really scratch. Um, and so we would go on these just, I mean, twice a year, once a year, we would try to go somewhere internationally or, you know, go to, go to an island or go do something. Um, and every single time we would go somewhere, we'd always say, we could live here. You know, collide. We were like, we could live here. I was, I was going to manage a, a mahogany farm for some guy. <laughs> we're like, we could survive here. We could live here. And so um, it just kind of built up, I guess. So every single time we would leave and come back to Portland, it would just, the hikes that we would do, you know, just kind of felt like maybe we wanted to do them in another country or, you know, somewhere a little bit more exotic. Yeah. I think actually, Jason, one of the big inspirations was your podcast. Stop. Stop. (laughs) Fanfare. Because I would be... um, Editing photos. We, I, at the time, I had quite a few photo clients. Um, so I would take, you know, photography for them. And I would be, like, editing, like, little, you know, like, little pixels. And it would be, like, very depressing outside because, you know, it, it rains about six months out of the year. Or, like, light drizzles, I should say. But you don't really see the sun. And it's like, oh, my God, you know. And I'd be looking out the window and... I would just be listening to your podcast and it's like all of a sudden I would be, you know, transported to Italy or Mexico or South America or wherever. And I started telling Nate about the podcast, you know, like, I think there's these people that can like work from anywhere and they can make money. I don't know how they do it, but maybe we could do that too. And so I started putting the idea in his head and over time I kind of wore down on on him. Because truth be told, you know, he we both had companies. Mine was a little more location independent, though, than his. His company was very location dependent. So it took a while to sort of, um, I guess, extract ourselves from everything because we did have a really good life there. And um, you can talk about your company, I guess. Yeah, you were doing landscaping, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So we would do like landscape design, doing like a bringing, uh, tearing up people's yards and putting native plants back into it, basically. So I did that for about six years, but whenever we would actually leave it, I would, I would always say, if I'm not there, if there's not, like my feet are not on the ground, there's no money to be made. Like I can send people out to do work, 
But if I'm not there doing anything, it's always, if I leave, the money dries up. And so I would always kind of, you know, that attachment to like little, your baby company that you're growing, um, there would always be like, I would always have anxiety whenever we would travel. And I would always think like, ah, I have to make money. I have to make money because Portland, you have to make money. You know, you can't, you can't take a little bit of time off unless you, you know, save, which is kind of difficult for us. But, but then um, I guess what happened was we went on a trip to Tulum, Mexico, thanks to my friend who I guess told me about it first. I didn't really know about it. And Fell in love with it once again. It was another place where, like, oh, we could see ourselves living here. And then I don't know really what switched, but um, we, when we got back to Portland, we were like, okay, let's just buy one-way tickets because, you know, everybody always says, you know, like, once you buy them, you're doing it. And we didn't tell anybody for a few months in Portland. After um, you bought the ticket, you mean? Yeah, it was like a it was like a secret. Ooh. And it was kind of fun. And I was like, that's, Ooh, like, that's like oh, we're out to dinner with our friends, yeah. and we have this little secret. We're not gonna <laughs> kick each other under the table, like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> like don't tell me. And you know, so finally we did, and it was like it was just this long, like six months of us packing everything, getting rid of stuff. You know, we moved in with his parents for a few months to save money. We were just saving money, working a lot. And we saved quite a bit of money. And then we were heading to um, to Cancun, you know, a few months later. And then, uh, and then Nate found a volunteer project, which didn't really end up working out. We actually have a video about it on our YouTube channel. But what is interesting about it is it was right outside of Merida or Merida, we had never heard of this place. And once we ended up coming back to Merida because that volunteer project didn't work out, it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Um, we were like, this place is cool. Let's stay here for a couple weeks. And two weeks turned into two months, turned into, you know, now three years. And, uh, well, we'll get to that more. But The thing I heard both of you say is... You know, we we could live here as you're traveling around. We could live here. And I feel like that is a natural thing that we can do as travelers. As part of the inner exploration, if you will, when you're traveling. Uh, you know, this this these thought experiments, right? I wonder what it would be like to live here. And you're almost putting yourselves in the shoes of the local life. And it's something we do as travelers. So it's one thing to kind of do that and then move on. And another thing to say that and then actually go and live there, <laughs> which is what you guys did. Because you expressed the fact that you had a good life in Portland, but was it one of the situations where it's like the desire to travel, but also maybe a little bit of comfort kills kind of thing, like getting out of your comfort zone? Or was it the lifestyle in the US? Like you just mentioned having to work all the time because that's what you have to do because you have to earn money and pay all the bills. Just talk about if, if you were going to kind of do a pie chart of the reasons why this was a good idea for you, what would that pie chart include? And what would dominate that pie chart? For some reason in Portland, I never had over $2,000 in my bank account. I would work 70 hours a week, $2,000 in my bank account. I would work... Actually, I guess if I worked less, it would be much less. No matter how hard I worked, let's just say, I would only have around 2000 in my bank account. Because after everything was paid and like gas and everything, it'd always be, 
I always, you know, you always feel like you were stuck. Like you could see yourself uh, 30 years later with $2,000 in my bank account doing the exact same thing, waking up at six, you know. Um, So it was kind of like a little bit, I guess the question, but like, I guess it was like, sometimes I feel like I need to like shake life up. But I guess it was just kind of like fear of getting stuck. So my dad lives a mile from where he's born. And my mom was from, or, or she was from Seattle, but she grew up in Oregon. And so it was kind of like looking, and I like to look at people that are ahead of me. Um, and I used to do this in my old job. I used to look at my boss and see how happy he was. And I, they would always say, well, that's your, that's your, you know, that's where you're going to be. And I always think about this and I'd be like, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be where you are. Like, that sounds terrible. You seem stressed out. And so I, not that I don't like my parents have another, they have a great life in Portland, but I didn't find myself wanting to like buy a house in Portland and stay in Portland and, and, you know, be there for the next 40 years, um, in the same place. So that was a motivation. I mean, that was a big motivation for us or for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very similar for me. I mean, honestly, I come from a more travel-y, you know, adventure, I guess, my mom traveled a lot, and so I always had that in me anyway. So I really was never like, oh, I want to stay here forever anyway. Um, but so I always had that itch to travel. I, I've lived all over the U.S. I've lived in Norway um, for a few months working on a film a long time ago. Like, And I've always dreamed of living abroad, um, you know, more long term. I mean, when, when the four months in Norway really opened my eyes just to, you know, what life is like outside of the U.S. So I think I always had, you know, like that dream. And so, you know, as comfortable as it was in Portland, and I love, you know, being near Nate's family and we had really good friends. I just think there was, it always felt like there was something around the horizon and um, that we needed to try it, you know, like if we didn't try that, that was always going to be a regret. So it was kind of like, you know, it was an experiment. It was like, if this doesn't work, there was always in the back of our head, like we can always come back. You know, we always have a place to lay our heads and um, we always have family that will accept us that, you know, Uh, but it was like, we need to try this. You know, we're not too old. Um, Not that it matters. You could be any age, but that's just how we felt. We were like, you know, we don't have kids yet. Like, let's just do this. And so buying the one-way tickets were really like that was a really first big step because it was like wait this is real like you might that you must know. have been a, quite a moment when you actually hit the the send button on buy or purchase or whatever you guys like whoa yeah it was crazy actually it was like <laughs> to buy a one-way ticket to, to the you know one-way tickets are scary. <laughs> If you if you haven't done one before, you know, it's always there's no return trip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Cassie, talk about growing up and, and where you grew up and how and why you grew up all over and traveled that way. Can you just share a little bit more about that experience? Sure. Um, so my mom was basically a hippie from North Carolina. Grew up during that era, and um, I think from what she's told me, she 
was tired of sort of the life, kind of similar to what Nate was saying, I guess, to the life, you know, in, um, in North Carolina where, like, certain things were kind of expected of her. So she went off to the West, West Coast or to Colorado and kind of opened her mind to other things. And um, anyhow, I guess a long time or, you know, a long, many years after that, when she had me, she was living in New Mexico. And um, she had found, you know, like, my dad is Native American. He's Navajo. And um, anyhow, like, she just had opened herself to, like, a new, uh, I guess, way of life or place. And, and New Mexico is just, like, a very interesting place. There's, like, it's like a melding pot. So there's a lot of people who move there who are just really interesting, a lot of artists and stuff. Um, but yeah, so she had lived all over the place. She had lived in Oregon, um, a lot of different things. She had lived in Mexico. So I grew up always like hearing these stories, you know, like, oh, when my older brother and sister and my mom traveled in like their VW van down to Mexico, you know, and I would always kind of be like, oh, I want to do that one day. And um, when my, my parents ended up, you know, splitting up and I was probably like four or five years old. So we ended up moving back to the East Coast. Um, we lived in Maine for two years because my mom was like, I want green. I've been living in the desert. And then we lived in Virginia Beach because she went back to films to grad school, which was for film. And that's when I got really into film. I was like eight years old. And then we moved to North Carolina where she's originally from. And like my grandparents are getting older. So I was there middle through high school. But after that, it was like... Um, I was ready to just, again, leave North Carolina, you know, like my mom. So traveled um, all over. I've lived all over the U.S. after high school. Like I went to college in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I've lived in L.A., California, New York City, Norway for film, you know, all for kind of film work. And then eventually um, Oregon. So. And then how did you guys meet? You want to share the... <laughs> Bocce ball. <laughs> <laughs> I was working at a hotel in, in Portland and after work I would go down and I would play bocce ball at the bocce ball courts with a bunch of old Italian men. Um, so we would go down there and it was me, I was the youngest person there, I was in my mid-twenties and I would just sit down there and we would just drink and play bocce ball for hours. How and, did you work uh, your way into that crowd? It's hard. It's difficult. <laughs> you have to... You swear in Italian. No, I don't know how I really did. I just, I guess I just went down there. I would watch. And then eventually they were like, oh, you want to play like weird guy in a suit? <laughs> and so I would just go down there and um, I'd like join the league and we would play. And it was very serious. It was not like joking around. It was, don't step over the line. Um, and so. Uh, and that was, it was important. Yeah, it was summer. It was summer and I was down there and I had just actually gotten back from a trip to Hawaii with one of my friends. So I was like nice and tan. And, um, That's and an important part of the story. It's yeah. a very important <laughs> part of the story. I showed that I not pale, ghostly <laughs> Portland mate. Um, and uh, so I was down there and a friend of mine called me and there's an art walk on the first and last Thursday of each month. And so my friend called me and she's like, oh, do you want to go on a, like, uh, go to first Thursday? And I said, sure. And she's like, oh, I'm going to bring a friend with me. She's my friend from college. And if you know, if, if our friend's name is Cordelia and she knows everybody. 
<laughs> so she always has a friend. Oh, I know her. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she brought her friend Cassie along with her and I completely ignored my friend the whole time. And we just spent the entire time laughing and joking around. And, um, we actually were long distance for about six months after that. But yeah, I was, I was just visiting yeah. in town for a week. Um, cause my friend from college of Santa Fe would always talk about how cool Portland was. And I was like, all right, I got to check out this Portland. And then it was really cool. And, uh, that's when I met Nate. Yeah. 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 This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Wow. It's interesting because thinking about your backgrounds, Nate, you're from you know the sort of the stable. The parents have been living in the same place for a long time. Cassie, you're from the like the background you just described, and it sounds like I don't know if it took some convincing for you, Nate, to kind of like jump on board with this. It, it, it seems that in my experience, sometimes that is the case when you grow up in a more sort of traditional in one place for many years. It, it's like you want to get out, but it's hard at the same time. I'm just speculating, but there was definitely pullback. I mean, yeah, I was just like, what? What would that? What would our life even look like? You know, I don't know. I don't know what life outside of you know, like being in the same city for a long time even looked like. Um, but you, I mean, you came to New Mexico and LA. Yeah, yeah. I've always traveled. 
I've always, I've always traveled as much as I could possibly travel. And, um, uh, so traveling was fun. I just didn't know what, like, I wasn't familiar with, with working online. Yeah. Oh, that, that part of it. Yeah. The earning a living while you're traveling. Yeah. And that was something that was kind of a concern for me. I was just like, okay, how do we, how do we, how do we live? Like, do we work in Mexico? Like, and, um, and I was like, what is online? I mean, what does like online work look like? So I like investigated drop shipping. Um, I investigated, I actually it was all from like a lot of like the podcasts that I would listen to from you guys. <laughs> I would like listen to yours. Somebody would be like, I make a hundred thousand dollars a year drop shipping. And I'm just like, I have to look up drop shipping. <laughs> I uh, went on a couple different things and they were like, teach English. And I was like, okay, like if I, that's a fallback. Right. Um, and so I was like looking at everything of like, how do you make it? So would you say that's, that was the biggest or one of the biggest anxieties going in with the one way ticket? You're selling all your stuff. I mean, there's a lot to that. And, and I know, and we can move into more travel stuff in life in Mexico soon, but I just kind of wanted to, yeah, I get a little bit more of your advice and perspective, maybe for somebody who's listening, who is, is in a similar situation. You know, I think it's a lot easier when, you know, if you hate your job or you hate where you live, it's like, well, okay, let's like make some changes. I'm out of here. But you know, if it's a nice place and you enjoy it and you got family nearby, it can be a lot more difficult because you have more emotional attachments and, you know, everybody has to deal with the physical attachments aspects of, of leaving as well in the way that you guys did. So, what were some of the harder parts and like, I mean, what kind of advice would you give to other people listening that want to buy a one-way ticket and, and, and they need to figure all the same things out that, that you did, you know, maybe they want to be gone for a long time. They want to figure out how to earn a living. They want to, you know, go to a good place that they're going to enjoy all of these things. What, what would you say to that person? You know, just for starters, like have, you know, your savings, um, that was, that helped us a lot the first year because we didn't really have everything figured out in terms of like making regular income. How much did you save? Can I ask? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So 25,000, 27,000, 27,000. So between the two of us. before I said that I never had $2,000 more than $2,000 in my bank account. As soon as we bought the one way tickets, something clicked in my brain and I was just like, okay, I've got a year to make money. So I just started working and I don't know what the shift was, but we saved $27,000 between the time that we bought the ticket and the time that we left. Which I, I think it was nine months. Yeah. We had. Nine months to make 27 grand. <laughs> and that's all profit. That's all like in the bank account. That's right. not like... That's what you saved. Yeah. yeah. That's what we saved with spending on a rent and everything like that. I mean, I think crazy. that's important to acknowledge because there is something to be said about setting a goal, setting a date. It's Parkinson's law. Is that what it is? Work takes the amount of time that you have to give yourself. So if like a project, if you have three days, you get it done in three days. If it's three weeks, it'll be done in three weeks. Could the same be said to some extent for saving money for a trip, right? If you're just kind of putting off travel, then it's just like, oh, well, eventually I'll get around to like, you know, saving a chunk of money and getting one way ticket. But when you buy the one way ticket, you're like, okay, hey, I got to make this happen ASAP. Yeah, because I think we, you know, our first year was originally going to be like a gap year. So, I mean, it really was actually. We, but 
we were going to be like, you know, we were very ambitious. We're like, we're going to go to like all these countries and, you know, we're going to travel really fast. We're going to go like, we're going to start in Mexico. We're going to go all through Central America, all through South America. We still need to do that. (laughs) You never actually left Mexico. (laughs) We made it to one destination. way of just kind of pulling you in because it's amazing, right? And there's so many, like we've, we've been all around Mexico and it's like, and it's like, I feel like we've just scratched the surface, but we are going to go to, to Guatemala soon. And <laughs> that's another story. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so we, our first year was like a gap year. So it was like in our head, we we're like, we know we need to have money because we're not going to be really like, our goal wasn't to work during that year. It was just to travel and to volunteer, which is what we did within Mexico. Um, but that being said, I think the second thing was just joining Location Indie for us and, you know, having a community. We have like our regular mastermind, which we still do, um, and having our community and like, you know, being around people like you and all the people in that community, not only did they help us because they inspired us, but they also like actually gave us like advice that we didn't know at the time. And to help us, you know, like what word, like, how do you do this WordPress thing? We want to start a blog and, you know, um, there's all these options for teaching English and basically just got us set up so that eventually it was easier to, you know, it took us a while to figure out how we were going to make the money, but we're, anyhow, we can get to that more later, but we blew that through helped a lot. That 27,000, we blew through it very quickly. Did you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, but that's what you gave yourself. I mean, it's a great plan to just have a cushion and you had a framework for everything, at least. It wasn't going to be a back against the wall situation where you, you had $2,000 in the bank. And just, you know, that, I know people that have done that and, and or people that travel no money, but it's not, it's not for everybody. Thank you for the community mention as well. I'm really glad to hear that that was helpful in your journey, of course. And I, I think it's such an incredible gift to think that the first place you went is Mexico and you liked it so much that you never left. I always find, I have a friend that, that did the same thing. I, I remember he, a long time ago, he went to travel around the world for two years and the first country he went to is New Zealand and then he never left. I think that that says a lot about how open you guys are as travelers in some ways, right? It, it's, you, some people listening might think the opposite. Well, you know, yeah, we want to see all these places, but you guys are so open to just learning about one culture and being so immersed in it that you're just like, Hey, this is, this is cool for us. Like how, how did it feel to kind of, does it feel like home there now? Cause I know you guys recently bought a house there, I think. Right. Is that, oh. <laughs> it's funny just to think about it because, um, uh, you know, we're supposed to be traveling. We're supposed to be, I think the, the nomad part is kind of a little bit more of like location independent living, so we don't have to be in a place to make money. And so I think of that like the mindset of a nomad instead of literally that we're living out of our bags at this point. It's but, about creating a flexible travel-based lifestyle. Yeah. And you can make yeah. that term whatever you want it to be, I think. Yeah. yeah. Like so, we could like be, you know, we could jump on a flight and be in Norway tomorrow and we could still work. Or, you know, we could, um, a lot of times, yeah, we're like, let's just jump on it like, last month like let's go to Oaxaca you know so we can it's like yeah we are nomads it's just we also have a home base yeah this is our (laughs) home base and so we found an opportunity to buy a a giant house with a giant property on it 
Um, and it was just one of those situations where uh, this opportunity and then kind of being stuck here for a year and a half in quarantine made us kind of like think like if travel gets shut down and we need a place to live, um, it's better to just have like a secure place that we already like, that we love, that we love the city. And so we just, um, just yeah. And we kind of had like, we had a conversation about this, you know, like, why are we doing this? You know, because a lot of it is, you know, the people that you're around. So a lot of people that we're hanging out with, they're buying houses and we're starting to see, Oh, the market here is like, it's like pretty hot, you know? And <laughs> like, and the house that we got, you know, it, um, it needs a lot of work. So it's probably going to take a year or two to renovate and we're going to have to come up with the money. You know, it's going to, it's going to be a project. So we're going to stay in the house rental that we're in until it's ready. But also we were like, okay, what are we, like, we're a little different, you know, because we, we travel, like that's part of our company and that's, you know, so what we've decided is like this place has enough land and we always wanted to do this anyway. We'd always dream about doing this. So we can build like little casitas in the back and it could be a place. It could actually be an investment as well as our home because, you know, we could rent out part of it. Um, you know, we can use that money to help fund our travel. We don't have, cause this whole time, the, the thing is we have two cats now, three, we've adopted a third one, a Mexican one. And that was actually one huge reason why we needed a home base. Cause as you know, like cats don't really like to travel if they don't have to. <laughs> so we always, you know, this whole time we've been living as this, as our home base, we've, um, we've had people come like friends, be able to come and look after them. And um, when we travel, so it's like, that didn't really change. It was like, well, they're going to need to stay somewhere. So might as well turn it into like an investment and a project. And we didn't buy a house for happened. us. It's the, it's the cats. House. It's the cats. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. funny because, well, just yesterday I was recording a Location Indie podcast and we were talking about this, this idea of kind of what you guys mentioned where, okay, it sounds to me like nothing's changed in terms of your values around having the flexibility to travel, right? And explore. And you're still, like you mentioned, going to get out of Mexico and, and do these different things. You've set yourself up and buying a property like that through that lens it changes your decisions, right? Like you're already talking about, okay, well, we're looking at this as an investment. We could build these casitas. There's, there are different elements to it. You know, this could be a money-making thing. And it just, it's just a different way of looking at it as opposed to saying, buying a house means we're going to settle down and now we're here. You know, it's just, it just changes everything, right? If you're thinking about it from like the sort of the nomadic location-independent lifestyle perspective, it's going to change what houses you look at, how you view them, what, you might want to invest all of these things and you can still, I think, have that lifestyle that you want, even if you're doing things that may seem like they're the antithesis of that, because it's not if it, if you make it so it fits in with the way you want to live your life. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I think that's something we learned from a lot of folks, you know, like at Mexex, for example, the location in the uh, trip that we all took in Querétaro, it's like, we talked to a lot of people and they had Airbnb investments or properties that they were able to rent out and that was helping them be able to travel. And, you know, you just start to realize that like uh, real estate is a really good investment and it doesn't have to, 
mean, like you said, it doesn't have to mean like, oh, we're stuck here 365, you know, days of the year. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no such thing as a mortgage here. So there's no, like, we didn't get a loan. It's ca- you, when you buy a house, you buy it with cash. Can I ask how much a house in that area costs? Or if you don't want to give the exact of what you guys pay, maybe just a yeah, no, we, no, it's cool. Uh, we paid we paid a ninety five thousand dollars. Yeah, okay. Um, and how big house. is the house? It's big. Okay, so it's in meters here, right? So U.S. always using like feet and stuff. Um, it's it's like eight hundred okay. square meters is the whole property. Oh wow, okay, yeah, eight hundred fifty six. Okay, 856 square meters, but I'm not sure what that is. I think it's half an acre is the property. Like, yeah, a quarter of an acre-ish. Oh, yeah, quarter. like a little quarter acre. And the house is pretty big, but we want to do we want to do a lot with this. So we're like going to probably work with this architect that our friend worked with who's really cool. I mean, we've seen his properties and really like them and hopefully build like a second story um, over part of the house. But it's like this really old, cool house but it needs a lot of work <laughs> some it somewhat looks like that like a locker room at a swimming pool <laughs> like for some reason it reminds me that there's tile like on the walls and all of the floors just kind of reminds me of that so how it's exciting be a though congratulations you guys that's i mean who knew when you bought that one-way ticket that now you'd be sitting here owning a house in a city you love that you probably never would have discovered if you just stayed home, of course. So it's just amazing how many twists and turns. I mean, life always takes twists and turns, but I feel like when you do something like throw yourself into a one-way ticket situation and, and set yourself up and, and just see what happens and have that open mind, it's it's just incredible how... Well, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit because you know, you guys are making decisions as a couple, but there's also this element of kind of tapping into your, uh, some people might call your intuition or just your gut feelings of, hey, you know, oh, is this a place we want to stay? You know, do we want to check out some other countries first? How do you guys go about making those decisions? I think some travelers also, another thing I've seen a lot of people do is just get, there's so much, so much to see, so many places to go. It's just almost like overwhelming. And then you're just skipping around all the time and you never really do anything like what you guys are describing. Not that everybody wants to do that, but it can be hard to make decisions as travelers. I know first, like hashtag first world problems and all that with the, you know, I think everybody understands that listening to this. So yeah, I'm just curious how you guys go through and make decisions. And maybe there's some advice here for people that are either couples or traveling with friends or partners or anything like that, where they have to, there's a little give and take. I would say it's always like a little bit of a negotiation. So I'm like the more grounded one, I feel, in our in our relationship. The yeah, the Taurus. So, uh, <laughs> I'm the more grounded one. Like, um, like I see, like we had a friend of ours that just, she had a rental that the owner said, like with the pandemic, she said, um, my family's coming back and you need to be out of this rental in three days. And that's it. You know, there's no contract or anything. And so um, I'm always the one like, okay, I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want us to have to like, you know, as life progresses and if we really continue to enjoy the city, um, I want to like have a house here. And then Cassie, she's like, I want to have a house, but (laughs) I also don't want it to stop us from traveling. 
And so it's always, it kind of is always like that. I'm always like, I want to do this. And then Cassie says, okay, but <laughs> I would like that to continue to lead us towards. Yeah. So it's just being honest with what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me too, like, I didn't want to be like a lack mentality, you know, like either, or, um, you know, we have to do this or this. It's like, I guess I'm, I'm more kind of like, we can do this and this, you know, and let's figure it out. And yes, there's going to be sacrifice and compromise, but you know, a true negotiation is where both people end up happy. So yeah, I'm like open to what he wants, but at the same time, like, you know, I don't want to, um, forget, you know, some of the, like, like travel was always going to be an important part of our life. So it was like, how can we do both? And I think just for traveling in general, like, you know, as a couple, um, I don't know. We've always had a really good time. I would say we're both like, in terms of just our personalities, we're both more on the slow side. So I really like, I'll be the kind of person, you know, like when I was a kid, like we'd be at the beach in the pool and be like, time to go. And be like, no, just two more minutes, two more minutes. And so it's like, we just, I think we naturally just want to like absorb or like make the most of any trip. So I think the slow travel was more along the lines of what we wanted to do. So I don't know if that was so much of like any kind of tension. It was just like, let's keep doing this. Yeah. And like, once we were here too, it's like the places to travel um, or the places to explore. Like that was a huge thing that why we've, why we're still here in a way is like, there's so many places to explore in Mexico and specifically in the Yucatan Peninsula. It's like, there's still things that we haven't seen that are around here. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question. Hopefully yeah. it did. <laughs> yeah. What about the language? Have you got, did you guys know Spanish before you got to Mexico? Do you know it now? How has that been? We practiced it before we, we left. So we did uh, uh Lair before we left. Went through that. Um, uh, I was actually doing Pimsleur before we left, like uh, like a couple of years ago, just because I worked with a lot of people that spoke Spanish, and so I was um, I would practice I would practice my Spanish while driving around in the car. Um, but then we kind of took it a lot more seriously when we got here. When we got here, we ended up hiring a tutor to teach us and to like continue to accelerate. Um, yeah, so I, I've been doing the Pimsleur pretty much every day. And I still feel like, I still feel kind of basic. I guess I know some intermediate stuff, but I don't feel advanced, which is definitely a huge goal that I'm still working toward. Um, but a lot of it is just being able to practice. And of course, with the pandemic, it's been a little bit harder to carry on those conversations as normally. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff here. Like um, some friends introduced me to, you know, like every Wednesday night, for example, this group would meet in the park and it, like half of them would be wanting to like Spanish speakers wanting to learn English and half of them would be English speakers wanting to learn Spanish. And so you would just do it like that. And that was really like those kind of immersions were really, really awesome because it's, it's like one thing to learn, which is great. I love the Pimsleur app, but to actually like put it into practice is different um, and to be able to carry on a conversation. So yeah, I'm still working at it, but I'm a lot better speaker than I was yeah. three years ago. Cassie's really good. I'm not as But I mean, it gets you more connected to the place, I feel, as well. You just feel, yeah, more at home, 
I would say, in my experience. And that's, since you guys are settling down there, that's, I think, an important part of it. I mean, I think it's good for a traveler, even if you could just learn a few basic words and try to use them, people appreciate that. But especially if you're living somewhere for a long time, it's, you don't want to be feeling like the outsider constantly, right? Exactly. Even if you stumble, even if you stumble through, yeah. you're, whatever you're talking, they appreciate it a lot more than you just coming up and be like, hi, mm-hmm. um, I would like you to speak English to me. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And people are like, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. this is part of what you guys talk about a lot, which is immersing with indigenous and local people around the world. And I just wanted you guys to share tips, advice, strategies around that for people who are, you know, even if they're just, even if they're not slow traveling or or moving somewhere, but, you know, we still want to make those authentic connections. What are some things that people can do? Volunteering was probably our first um, and foremost important thing because it introduced us to the community and, you know, that was a little more long-term. That certain volunteer project lasted for, I think, a year. Yeah. But And they required you to do it for three months because you were working with kids. Um, and anyhow, but, um, but yeah, I mean, even if, you're, if you go and you can volunteer for a couple weeks or whatnot, I think that really puts you in touch with the community. And, um, yeah, you immerse with, like, what's going on there. Yeah. You know? Get rid of like expectations, I guess. I think is the best. I think that's like what helps me the most is just getting rid of like any expectations of like what I what I want out of it or what I think I'm gonna have out of it. Um, because something is better just to go there, listen, and um, like I guess not expect anything. Because you know, if you're going into like a a, a real like a, a like a real cultural experience, like they're not going to have like performances and things, you know, like that's like almost like tourism when it comes to it. Uh, like the, like the Maya community down here, like, you know, you go and you like spend time in a Maya village and outside of that, like the only time you see a lot of like the Maya cultural experiences is like a show, you know, where they dress up like, the ancient Maya and they like do drumming and things like that for tourism. But then when you spend time on a garden or you go and you take a tour with, uh, with like local people, um, it's completely different. And it's actually like so much more rewarding. Um, cause you learn like everything about, you know, this, the, that one gardener, his parents, like his grandparents fought for the land, like, that they were, they basically were going to take this like land that they had been on away from them and their grandparents, he, they had fought for it. And the guy is still there. And he's like, he calls himself the mayor of the city. He's not really the mayor, but he like is a connection to everything there. And he grows like a giant organic garden. And he's just, amazing, you know, that was just an amazing experience. So yeah, I would say like, fine. Like, uh, I guess you would call it rural tourism, I guess technically is the term or, um, maybe more known as like sustainable tourism. So um, tourism companies that are going to work with the locals slash indigenous people um, who put the money back, who put the profits or, you know, a good amount of the profits back into the community. Cause a lot of the big, more corporate touristic companies, 
you know, some of them are operating out of the U.S. or like Europe and they don't even know anything about that place and they're taking most of the profits anyway. And it's like, you can kind of tell. So it's like, if you work with the smaller ones, you can get, like, we get recommendations through um, our friends now, but if you're just coming through the place, you know, um, the expat groups in that area, that like those people who, who know will, will like point you in the direction of like, this company is sustainable. They work with the local people, you know, and that's how we found a lot of, of the really cool experiences that we've had that we've got to immerse. And um, so, yeah, having like a good guy who really knows and understands and respects and has a good relationship with like the local people there. Um, like another one that we have, our friend Lucia, she's, she takes a lot of people out and she's taken us before into my people's homes where like, you know, you're eating, it's like you're just coming into their home and like eating in their dining room and getting to know them. And, um, it's pretty amazing just to see, just to be a part of that and kind of be invited into it. It's a completely different experience than like, as Nate said, like going to a show, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to immerse, um, in the culture, that's, I feel like that's a really good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's great advice. And goes back to I feel like something has been coming up on the show a lot recently which is just we as travelers like we have to accept that it's going to take a little extra work to find these things maybe some extra research maybe extra asking around but in the long run you're you're being a more conscious traveler and you're really hopefully leaving as as much as you can as a traveler leaving the place better than when you found it type of thing. I don't know if that's the right expression to use there, but I think you get the drift of what I'm trying to say here. I just want to encourage people listening to just take the extra step to find, in your example, the local guide that's going to give back into the community, which again, it's, all right, if you go to expat Facebook groups or whatever, it's not convenient to go the extra mile, it's a lot easier to just go to the sort of the central area where all they're booking all the tours and just book something. But in the end, get a better experience and hopefully you're contributing more to the local economy. So, yeah, I think also just like a, a kind of an umbrella statement for me would just be like, get out of the resorts, you know, get out of the resort because so many people come here. And it kind of makes me sad because, like, they only want to go to the resorts. Like, you know, even people we know will come and that's what they want to do. And we always try to talk them out of it because it's like, yeah, maybe do that for part of the time. And I get it. It's luxurious. It's nice. Everything's provided. I get it. But it's like you miss so much of – it's like you're not really going to Mexico. You're going to, like, Disneyland, you know. And uh, it just seems to defeat the purpose of coming. So I would say get out of the resort area. Go to places where, like, they're not just speaking English. Um, yeah. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This 
device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Talk about the projects you guys are working on around your values and, and the stuff that you write about and blog about and everything. Because I'd, I'd love for people to learn a little bit more about what you guys are up to. And then we can segue that into maybe how you guys have been making a living going back to that whole the age-old question of how are we going to travel and earn uh, money as we go? You know, it's a classic. Um, <laughs> but let's start with the projects and then we can get into that conversation. So um, <laughs> uh, our major project we're working on right now, we're just uh, actively working on is uh, a project called Faces of the Modern Maya. So it originated from uh, my idea of, it was like a little bit like a, like a book, like the people of New York, um, like on their Instagram page. But I was thinking it would be kind of cool to see what the Maya people actually look like outside of, outside of the, the show. Um, and so I was just, I was walking around one day and I came back and I burst through the door and Cassie was still asleep because I still wake up early. Um, even when I'm not working, but, um, I came in and I was like, huh, I have this idea. I want to make a book of like a Facebook of people of the, like called people or faces of the modern Maya. And, um, Cassie, who is a filmmaker said, that sounds like a great documentary. And I was like, no, it's a book. <laughs> no, it sounds like a great documentary. <laughs> so, Once again, the negotiation is on immediately. She's <laughs> half asleep and she's still like, I'm going to negotiate this. <laughs> yeah, like, Let's do both. Let's do both. So I'm still going to make my book. But um, right now we are actively uh, working on um, the grant applications and funding for a documentary about um, the Maya people and kind of what they're, what like basically the life of a, of a regular Maya person. Yeah. In this day and age, not like, you know, 2000 years ago and like, no, this is Maya. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we have, uh, we, we started working on casting like last fall and um, we have five like people that we want to follow and basically have done like preliminary interviews with them and figure, you know, we know what their stories are. We've gotten to know them. 
Um, one of them being who Nate said, like the mayor of this little town called uh, uh, Nuevo Durango. But yeah, just learning their stories. You know, a lot of it is about uh, preserving the land, preserving the language, preserving the culture. But they're still having to make money and bring money into their economy. So a lot of them still work within the tourism uh, sector, but it's a lot of it is like this sustainable tourism. So another another uh, woman that I love is um, Cecilia. She's amazing. She's such a badass. She's like in her twenties, and she's um, she had to kind of fight to go to college because she said, you know, like she was sort of expected to stay home and as a woman, and you know, like take care of the family, but she. Um, had to walk like eight miles every day to go to school and finish her tests, and she did, and she got into this college. Now she's um, a biologist, and she's working to conserve like the land for the spider monkeys. Um, and she like go- takes people on tours to see the spider monkeys there, and she's just so cool. Um, she's a photographer too. So there's anyhow, all of these people are like very very interesting and. Just getting to hear their stories is really what the whole project is about. Um, so yeah, so we're we're actively working on getting funding for it and um, and just really start filming. We have already got quite a bit of footage, but we're gonna we want to do this for probably six months of like continuous shooting. So that's what we're gonna get the funding for. That's super exciting! Congratulations. We'll have to have you guys back on when that comes out so we can let people know about it and hear more about how the experience was for you all. And I'm sure, well, you're, are you half Navajo, Cassie? So is there some kind of connection there in terms of, you know, indigenous lands and, and, you know, I know you're in Mexico, but, you know, is, is it, is that a emotional attachment there to you as well? And that through that lens? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I had done quite a bit of work when we were back in the U.S. with Native American youth, uh, in particular, um, teaching documentary filmmaking and learning about their lives. And um, a lot of it is about, yeah, it's about land and is about preserving the culture. And so when I came down here, I guess naturally I was curious, like, is that is that a similar kind of parallel experience with like Mayan people, for example, here, but there's so many indigenous groups within Mexico. It's amazing. I mean, it's so too many to count, but um, we kind of did focus on the Maya because that's where we're living right now. And there really is, there's so much of a parallel just because of colonization and hundreds of years of that. And, um, and people sort of deciding, you know, like we want our autonomy back and we want, we want to save our culture or our language. So yeah, it's definitely very similar uh, to indigenous people in North America, which I find interesting because I think, I think people are becoming more aware that there's, you know, obviously indigenous people all around the world, um, but especially in across all the Americas, but it is weird how there seems to be like in people's minds, it's such a big difference between Mexico and, and the U S but really it's just like a border that was made <laughs> because of a war uh, but there, yeah, there's so many parallels. The 23andMe, Cassie did a 23andMe a couple of years ago, and it was like 23% Mexican. <laughs> yeah, because my yeah. people are from the Southwest, which is basically right. used to be Mexico. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that has some, on some level, brought you guys to Mexico and kept you there. Who knows? I mean, yeah, I don't want to get too woo on everybody here, but you know, I think there's a lot of stuff going on that we can't really, you know, know. So, you know, we we actually kind of joke around about it a lot, but I say like, who, who in their right mind? I mean, like, who does, who does this? Like who, who, uh, I mean, I know that there's a lot of people that do this, but like, who, who has a life that it looks good from the outside and just leaves it all behind just to, you know, to, to people thought we were actually crazy for a while. You know, there was something, I feel that there was something that draws people to certain places, but especially Merida people, there's the same story that people have is, I came here for a three-week vacation 17 years ago. <laughs> so we came here for a month three years ago. Yeah. Yeah, um, there's an energy pull. And I do believe in serendipity or whatever you want to call it, where it's like, you know, I don't know if it was a coincidence. It, it's just weird how we had no plan. I didn't even know where Merida was. Like We were going to be going to Tulum to begin, and he found this volunteer project. So it's like it does seem meant to be. And, um, yeah, it just keeps kind of unfolding the story and get, getting better. So <laughs> come back to the now. Kudos to you guys. Yeah, it's, it's one thing to hear the call and another thing to take the call. And that's, that's important, too, sometimes when we, I don't know, feel something, hear something, or drawn to something, and we don't take ourselves up on that. Who knows what we're missing out on? It's just something we all need to be aware of, I think, as humans, is listen to that little voice or that body feel or whatever it is that you get. All right, so you guys did make it in terms of figuring out how to earn a living. <laughs> so let's just talk a little bit about that. And then I had one more question for you because I want to respect your guys' time. But talk about how you guys figured out how to make money from Mexico on your trip because you left, you had the chunk of money saved up and there you are. How much of it did you sort of blow through before you were like, all right, we got to do something. Did you try to enjoy it for a while and then do something? How did you manage that all? So I'll, <laughs> I'll go this one. <laughs> so we did, uh, we started out with 27,000, like 27,000, like 500 bucks. Um, and within the first year, like we were flying to like plant trees in Guadalajara like do like tree planting projects, helping them out with that and doing like every single restaurant in this entire city we would go and eat at. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you can spend money I mean, you can spend a lot of money in Mexico. So we blew through the 27,000 pretty quick. I was running a store at that mo- at that time. I was running a plastic free store online that was doing okay. It would make money sometimes, but just wasn't like, it wasn't matching what we were spent. Um, so we went from 27,000 up to $11,000 in debt within the first year and a half. Um, and we kind of were sitting there trying to figure out like, what do we do? <laughs> Cause I was like, okay, like Cassie was actually, she had just finished, uh, editing on a documentary. Um, I was still running the store and doing, um, actually like the first year I was actually flying back to Portland to do design work, um, for, for different clients. 
and some construction work. Um, so that was making us some money that was making us like, you know, 10 grand here. And then, uh, you know, a couple thousand there, but still we were spending way more than we, uh, than we were making. And I was on the goats on the road, uh, website and they were like, you know, I, I revisited it and they were like VIP kit. And I said, I signed up for that. Like when we were first getting started, I was like looking at all these different ways to make money. And I told you I started the drop shipping company. I did that and I had signed up for VIP kid, but I had never done anything. With it. That's a teaching English online platform. Teaching English online. Yeah. To kids in China. And, um, and I got blocked because they said you have to teach, you have to, you have to basically have a mock class with an adult who pretends like a five-year-old <laughs> and you teach them English for 10 minutes. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> I was like, no, okay. I don't need to, I don't need to do that. Um, I'll just figure out something else. But then once the debt came around, I was like, I'm going to try this out. <laughs> and, um, right off the bat, like, you know, it took me a couple of tries. I actually write about it in our blog about how many tries that it took me because I didn't do any training. I didn't do anything like that. Um, I have some teaching experience in my, in my past, just with children. Um, but I, I never watched any tutorials of how to do it. I just failed until I succeeded. Um, they were like, you fail. And I was like, okay. They're like, try again. And I was like, oh, okay. But, um, right off the bat, right off the bat. And I don't know if it was a timing thing, but it became a sustainable source of income. So two weeks later, Two weeks, two weeks later, I was getting like a check every single month when we first started out, but it was giving us like $2,200 to $3,000 a month. And how many hours were you teaching per month? Um, I teach mornings. So I teach from like four o'clock in the morning until 8 a.m. Okay. Four hours a day, five days a week type of thing? Seven days a week. Seven days a week. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I actually have worked seven days a week for the last two years. <laughs> Wait, you took like, I think maybe two weeks off all together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Total. I, I love it. I absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, but then also like, yeah, so that's, yeah. that was like regular paychecks again, but it was location independent. So I can work in Portland. I can work in Mexico. I, mean, I worked in Thailand, which was the best because I got to wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I was like, you're, you're, I was like, you're awake. I'm awake. Yeah, I worked in the ICU. I worked in an ICU in Bali when Cassie had dengue fever. She was getting. Oh yeah, her, we didn't even get uh, to talk about that. That was. She was getting her <laughs> IV put in while I was muting her screams. On the <laughs> she was like, "Ow, ow, ow!" And I was like, "Mute." <laughs> um, so it's been sustainable. It's been really sustainable. It actually the the sustainable. Uh, the the regular income got us residency down here, um, so it's been a really good source. And I, so I do web development now. So I do like um, front end development um, for for websites, and that's like a slow transition. But just getting clients and all of that stuff that I'm doing right now, um, VIP Kit has basically given me that base to work off of because I can work from four until eight and then code from, you know, 
of the morning after I take my nap um, to to whatever time. So I do go to sleep at nine thirty at night. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm still you know very much freelance, but luckily, like I have this job that I'm gonna when we get off the phone be editing all day on. But um, they were able to just, you know, mail me down a hard drive. It's an editing job and uh, from from California. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, it still is like amazing to me. It's like, oh my gosh, like I get to work on this project and I'm not there. And, um, you know, with Zoom and everything, it's like you can just jump on a call. And I, I edited for another client, like when we first got here, we would jump on like Skype calls and like share my screen and like edit together. And so I have quite a few clients, but it's very much freelance. So it's a little bit up and down. Like right now I've been getting quite a bit of work. Um, and then we also have our vlog, which I mainly edit for. Yeah. Um, right, tell everybody, may- just remind everybody so they can find all the, all the goodies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, our blog is nativenomadlife.com. And then our vlog on YouTube is Native Nomads Vlog. And so we've been working on that for a couple of years. And my goal, like I had, I have it on our whiteboard here, was to monetize. And we finally monetized at the end of last year, um, which means you have to have like a certain amount of subscribers and viewer, view time within a certain amount of time. So we got it. And we've been making like not a ton, but it's slowly creeping up every month. We make a little bit more than the last month. And it's like, oh my gosh, like we just bought our plane tickets with this YouTube money. So it's, it's like bonus money at this point, but we've decided all the money from that will go toward any travel expenses. And, you know, cause the, you, for our channel, like we need to travel in order to get those, to get those videos. But, um, so that's been really cool to see that grow and hopefully we'll just keep growing. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Congrats. That's I mean, I don't want to end on the dengue fever note, but can we talk about that a little bit? Because I remember when that happened, that was really bad. You had a really bad situation and I'm just wondering, not that you have to rehash it or if you're comfortable talking about it, I'm just wondering how, how that experience you know, you can give us the brief, but how, how that might have changed your life or has it or has it changed anything about the way you travel or anything at all? I just want to hear what that was like for you and, and how you feel coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, so it was two years ago. I can't believe it um, that it happened. I The last year feels like it's gone so fast, which is strange. But um, it was two years ago and we were supposed to be going to Southeast Asia because we wanted to go, but also we were going to be working on a film with some friends. And when I got it in Thailand, I think it was because, yeah, have you ever seen that movie, The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio? Well, you know, like the islands he goes to, Yeah. we went to one that was very similar to that. It had the same vibe. And it's like, there was really very little, infrastructure there it's like you you get dropped off on a boat you jump out of the boat like you get your shoes all wet you get your you know your backpacks on top of your head you go into like a little hut and that's where you sleep and it was kind of a crazy situation just because it was so out of you know it was so out in nature so there was quite a lot of I guess um mosquitoes and it was beautiful this place was amazing but 
you know, there was like tons of jellyfish in the water. <laughs> I, I felt like a little bit of like uh, stuck on a, on an island of just whoa, this is crazy. And we had the organic, we had organic bug spray, and I remember oh. <laughs> Cassie spraying it on her leg. And a mosquito came right to it. <laughs> <laughs> and, we were, and we were laughing. We were like, oh, ha-ha, this stuff doesn't work. Well, ha-ha, no, ha-ha on us. Because, you know, a few days later, um, we had left that beach and gone to, like, more of, like, a regular town that was also on the coast. And um, the last day we were there, I was like, I'm not – like, the last night we were there, I was like, I'm not feeling so good. I remember I walked to the beach. I was, like, listening to a podcast – and I just laid down on the beach, and I think I woke up like an hour later. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> I was like, something's not right here. Went home, was pretty tired. The next morning, we had a um, a, or no, we had a tour oh. to go to all those islands. And it was like 8 a.m. I woke up maybe at like 6, and I was just like full on like the worst fever of my life. Like my body was like shaking. Yeah, that, I was that sleeping. kills people. Yeah. yeah, and I was just like, what the heck? And I just, I thought maybe I got food poisoning or like just like some, I didn't think, I didn't think, I didn't even know really about dengue fever to tell you the truth. And the next morning, so we ended up going on this thing because Nate was like, do you want to cancel? It was like, I was like, please there. let's cancel. I don't, you don't need to go on a boat tour. And this is who I am. I was like, no, we're not going to lose the money. And like, it's going to be amazing. And I'll just kind of be, I'll just, I just won't be feeling so good. It'll be fine. Well, we went, it was really fun, but like, I, I kept like leaning on Nate. I was like, I don't feel good. <laughs> we went to four islands that day. It was like a pretty big trip. And, uh, so that night I was like, I'm not feeling good. And we started talking to people where we were staying. And like, you probably have dengue fever. Like you need to go to the hospital. So then literally the next day we were, um, flying into Bangkok. And Nate, some will you tell the story of like? Will you I went to like a pharmacy, and like again, we didn't know that there was actually there was a massive outbreak there, huge, huge outbreak of dengue fever that was like killing. Like the death, the death percentage was really high for some reason. Usually, it's like one percent, but for some reason, this outbreak was really high, and everybody knew about it except for us. <laughs> um, so I went to like a pharmacy, and I was like, "Do you guys have any things? My wife has like a bad fever." And the woman said, you don't need to get something for a fever. She needs to go to a hospital. And so I was like, okay. I was like, all right. So we went to, uh, we went to a hospital where we actually met with a doctor from California. <laughs> it was kind of surreal, but he was like this really nice guy. Cassie, like as soon as he was talking to her, she broke down crying. She was like so emotionally like just drained and, and uh, Half and relieved and to really find happy. like someone who spoke English. <laughs> I don't know, just at the time I was just really happy to speak English because I just I was actually curled up in a ball in the chairs like when we were waiting for that appointment. Yeah. So I was really out of it. But um he was like, Yeah, you know, got the diagnosis, you have dengue. He didn't make it seem that and that big of a deal. He was like, he You was need like, to come back every day to make because if it starts if your blood platelets start going too low, like you're gonna have to go in the ICU. He's like, most people don't, most people don't their first time. Like You'll be you fine. just have to come back and basically do your blood check. And we are like, we're flying to Bali tomorrow morning. Can we do this in Bali? And he was like, yes. It might not be the best idea, but we're like, well, we're going there to work on this film. 
And like, basically in my mind, you know, it's like this has, this thing has to go away in a few days because I got to go work on this film. And well, that's not what happened. We got to Bali. We were driving out of the airport area to go to our Airbnb, which was a couple hours away from the other side of the island. And I was like curled up in a ball in the back of the taxi. And I just... I got an email. And and Nate got an email and it was like, oh, because we had gone to the hospital before we took that taxi ride. That's right. We had gone to the hospital in Bali and, and gotten the um, blood test. And when we were on the way to the Airbnb, it got the email. It was like, and it was like her blood platelets were like fifteen thousand, and it's supposed to be like something like maybe two hundred thousand or four hundred thousand, and she was at fifteen thousand. And anything under fifty thousand, you're supposed to go to the ICU. So I just told the I told the taxi driver, I was like, okay, turn around. <laughs> The first hospital we went to, we walked in and there was no electricity. Like some guy, some doctor walked out and uh, the taxi driver, he was a really nice guy. He was like, not here, not here. We have to go to the next one. And so we, uh, we went and we just checked her in. And actually the guy, his whole family, no, that was at the hotel. Their whole family came to visit you while you were in the ICU. Oh, you remember? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um but so like the taxi driver was a really nice guy in Bali and he made sure that we were like checked in and um, we were there for like six days. Yeah. We ended up, we went and watched every single episode of Hell's Kitchen because <laughs> <laughs> Cassie couldn't sleep. So yeah. And I couldn't sleep. Yeah, how did so. you, yeah. How has that experience changed you or if it has at all? Well, after that, um, we obviously like, the film we were going to work for, they were really understanding and really sweet. And they're like, of course, like you need to just not do this. Like, you need to go recuperate. And so after that, really, all I wanted to do was go see our family. I wanted to go back to the, I want to see my mom. Yeah. And so everybody wants their, their mom, if they can have their mom when they're sick, you know, it's, it doesn't matter what age yeah. you are. Right. I want home cooking and I want, yeah. So we went, we stayed, my mom at the time was living in California and we stayed there for a few weeks. It was amazing. I got back on my feet. It really did take me like a month to feel normal again. Um, so she was just like cooking all the time for me and it was amazing. It was so, it was what I wanted and needed. And then we went up to Portland, saw your family. And I think it just kind of solidified that as much as we love to travel, just to, that, you know, our family is really important to us. So just, you know, grateful that we were able to go and see them. And I think, I don't know, like, I think right after that, we came back to Mexico and it was like, it just, again, I, I felt at home. And I was like, I'm so happy to be back here. And um, I think the feeling or the bond that we had with Mexico was even stronger after that because, I mean, Southeast Asia is amazing. It's so beautiful. I want to go back. But I didn't feel that same feeling of like, I don't know, when you just feel at home, you know, with the culture and the people. I don't know. So it was really, like, I don't know if it changed anything in term, in, um, on a big scale, but it just made us feel more at so home. It solidified then, yeah. Mexico as, like, the place that we wanted to be. Yeah. Because there's, like, Chiang Mai and other places that have, like, good digital uh, networks and, and, and community and stuff like that. But when you when we came back to Mexico, it was, like, yeah. You know, it just felt it just felt like we had just returned back to like this very wonderful 
Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. huge. And then the, obviously the reconnection to your family, not that you were ever disconnected, but experience like that certainly. Yeah. It's, it, it might make you re-rank some things in life at that moment, right? What's, what's most important. It's awesome to see you guys. I miss y'all. I miss y'all. I uh, hope to visit you in your new home at some point. And yeah, you got to check out nativenomadlife.com. And you can sign up over there. And of course, there's links to the vlog and everything. It's probably the best place to send everybody right because then they can find all of your stuff. Yeah. yeah. And YouTube. And YouTube. And YouTube. Yes. Native nomads on YouTube. Right? Yeah. So... Uh, any any parting words of wisdom or any last you know final things you want to share now? Now is the time. Well, man, we always want to thank you. You were like our first inspiration in terms of that this is possible. Um, we never really even thought of it. I mean, I read the four hour work week, but that just seemed like more of <laughs> like I was like, okay, you can make money. <laughs> but you were the first inspiration for us when it came to. Um, just being able to do this. So, so, uh, uh thank you. Thanks. Well, <laughs> I won't, uh, take any credit cause you guys did it all, but that, that's the point of the show. So it's nice to hear, of course, to help, to help out wherever, wherever it can. So thank you so much. Yeah. I hope to see you guys soon and let's, uh, let's chat again sooner than later and good luck with the film. Let's talk about that when you come back next time and maybe we can get some, you know, audio clips from that and do a whole episode around that. I would love to hear more about that. So you guys take care. Get some sleep because you got up early. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. There you have it. One couple story. Thanks to Cassie and Nate for stopping by the show. Aren't they awesome? I'm telling you, this is that couple. You meet them and you're just like, Love you guys immediately. I want to just be around your energy and hang with you and good vibes all around. So uh, feel free to hit them up. You know where to find them over at their website. And uh, if you're in Mexico and near their neck of the woods, hit them up. If you come through Norway and I'm around here, hit me up. Would love to meet up with you. And I want to say thanks for just taking the time to listen to this show. A couple things before I let you go. We're going to have a quote, of course. I'm going to pull it out of the mystical, magical quote drawer. But first, I want to talk about garbage and world travel. Yes, garbage. (laughs) Remember that? All the way at the top, I said, uh, what does garbage have to do with world travel? Well, this got me thinking today because as I was uh, walking up, I I rode my bike down to the store today to get some groceries, and I was walking up through this path we have that's a, a shortcut through the woods back to my house, and I just saw some garbage there in the woods, and it was bugging me. So I picked it up, whatever, no big deal. And I, you know, I was thinking about this episode and it just got me thinking, well, this is really cool. I should do this more often. I should take my kids out and just go and pick up some garbage around the area. And then I was thinking, well, hey, sometimes you just get these big ideas in your head or, or you get this urge to do something big. For example, I want to make an impact in my community. How can I make a huge impact on my community, a positive impact in some way? Well, one way is to just 
walk outside of your door and pick up garbage, right? It's, it's pretty simple and totally doable. And you could do it right now. You could walk out your front door and go pick up some garbage and throw it away. And you made an impact on your community. And it's a small, simple thing that you could do to fulfill your desire to make that impact, right? You could do it immediately. You could walk out your door and do it right now. That's empowering. We could do the same thing with our big life goals as well. I really believe that. If you want to travel the world and it seems like some kind of far off thing or maybe you are traveling the world right now and you want to start some big business or whatever the thing is you want to do, there's probably a version of walking outside of your door and picking up garbage that you could do today, right? There's probably a small thing you could do that can get you a little bit towards your goal or that matches with your intention, right? Like you had the intention to make an impact on your community and then you do something to match that intention by picking up garbage or whatever, going to your neighbor's house and bringing them some flowers. I don't know. Whatever the case is, it can be these small things, right? We can always do these small things. They're doable. And when we chunk things down into small steps or just think think big and act small, I suppose, then you get momentum, right? Things can start happening. So, you know, sometimes I like to leave all of us, myself included here, with a little bit of a challenge at the end of the episode. And maybe that's the challenge today. Could be the challenge, right? Think about a big thing you might want to do that seems overwhelming and then just do a small thing that matches that intention or gets you one step closer to that big thing. Whatever it is for you. I'll leave that open to interpretation because it's always better that way, right? You can take that in and Take it uh, for what it's worth. So just thought I'd share that little story with you today. Now I am going to reach into the quote drawer here. Oh, this is nice from, from the Tao Te Ching. The heart that gives gathers. The heart that gives gathers. Beautiful. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Much love to you your friends and family. Hope you're doing well and stay healthy, stay safe. I'll see you next time. Peace and love. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.